Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots. I am Katie Halper. And I'm Matt Taibbi. And we are here to pump you up. <laughs> it's so hard for me not to say that like every show. I want to say it, that. It is, it is tough. I'll, I'll, yeah. Having, You'll having, cop to it? Yeah, I'll cop to it. You'll cop well, I, I, I think I was it. out of the country when that, when that was a big thing. Oh, yeah. So I can't remember exactly, but but it made it all the way over to the expat community anyway so yeah and we want to pump you up i might hans have been franz. what year was that hans and franz oh you know it wilson mm -hmm. what year was that you were like a bait you were like in no, utero it was early then. 90s yeah i wasn't i wasn't even in utero yet you were pre-utero a lot of stuff to uh to discuss this week uh we are we are recording now uh while the the uh jury is still out on the Rittenhouse trial. So this is one of those shows where we're going to be behind the news cycle by the time this thing comes out, right. probably, right? The jury's still out on that too. The jury's still out on that too. So that's happening. That's And that's going to be a big fat mess, almost whichever way that goes. So it's that'll be, be interesting. It's going to be an acquittal, right? I mean... No, not necessarily. Really? I mean, probably, but, you know, I think, I think there's some gray area there and it depends. I'm not saying whether it should be an acquittal. I'm just predicting it's an acquittal. It, I mean, it depends. It depends a lot. Um, you know, the the judge gave some instructions last week that would tend to help the prosecution. So, hmm. but no matter what, it's going to be a it's going to be a raging shitstorm when it happens. So, I guess we'll we'll hold our fire until that happens. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, put on your diapers, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't really work. Put on your uh, raincoats. If it's yeah, raincoats. There's not a whole lot else going on right now. Like the what's happening? Biden's approval rating better. is dropping. The Joy Reid lashed out at the, the country because of, uh, of Biden's dropping approval rating. Um, oh, I didn't see that. We should watch. Yeah, that, that. was pretty funny. Yeah, that? was that on TikTok? Because she's on TikTok. Yeah, I think it was a TikTok thing. We gotta get on TikTok. I'm too old for TikTok. If you sit, I mean, it's all like, about. I'm too old for the club, so I'm way too old for TikTok. TikTok. Wilson can be our our useful foot in the door. Yeah, it's like a it's like a Benjamin Button thing. Like instead of getting somebody who's old enough to buy you beer, we have right. some, need somebody who's young enough young to get us into TikTok. To TikTok, yeah. Yeah. Well, so Wilson, well, he 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 bridges the gap. He does. Yeah, I'm on TikTok, but I'm probably I don't know how much that, that'll help. I mean, I could we could do it for mine. I made a little TikTok with um cinema going like that like mm -hmm. i just set it to different it is fun i just set it to different songs mm -hmm. and those did okay those got like a couple thousand views yeah I, I i i feel at a loss with that technology but um anyway stuff happening let's get to it uh four food groups democrats suck republicans suck uh isn't that weird isn't that terrible or whatever the order is yeah. i still don't know right we like to surprise ourselves so i got them suck yeah Let's see. We got an interesting article about uh, Biden, who is reopening oil and gas leasing in the Gulf of Mexico. Now, I'm reading from CNN. One of the pre of President Joe Biden's boldest environmental campaign promises was to ban new oil and natural gas leasing on public land and water. But on Wednesday, his administration will open more than 80 million acres in the Gulf of Mexico to auction for drilling. The auction is at odds with climate Biden, Biden's climate. Oh, I just sound like Biden with Biden's climate agenda. 
The president has also promised to slash greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2030, and environmental advocates say it could set U.S. climate goals back for years. Uh, the administration tried in its first days in office to put a stop to new oil and gas drilling. On January 27th, Biden signed an executive order that paused new permits and directed the Department of Interior to launch a rigorous review of existing programs related to fossil fuel development. But a lawsuit filed in March on behalf of 13 states led to a judgment that blocked Biden's pause. Millions and possibly billions of dollars are at stake, Judge Terry, Judge Terry Dowdy wrote in his ruling. Dowdy was nominated in 2017 to the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Louisiana by then-President Donald Trump. The Biden administration is moving forward with the new leasing, and White House Press Secretary Jem Psaki said their hands are tied. So what's your take on this? My take on this, honestly... Mm-hmm. My take is that it's deeply troubling that the people charged with protecting our public lands and oceans are ignoring court rulings and their own data showing this lease sale is illegal and reckless. Oh, sorry, that's Kristen Monsell's take, and she is Ocean's legal director at the Center for Biological Diversity. Mm. You know who else? Who? You know what my other take is on this? What? This administration went into Scotland and told the world that America's climate leadership is back. And now it's about to hand over 80 million acres of public waters in the Gulf of Mexico to fossil fuel companies. This is happening under the same lax environmental and safety requirements and inadequate financial assurances that have put Americans in harm's way for decades. And that is from me, myself, but I'm quoting Raul Grijalva. Wait, those are your opinions, but they they came from somebody else. Yes. (laughs) I see. Not just somebody else. I mean, Ocean's, Ocean's legal director at Center for Biological Diversity. And not only is Raul Grijalva a congressman, he's House Natural Resources chair. How, How would you, how do you, how do you define that? Is that like a ghost take? Or like a oh, that's a good question. Like a rent a take, or like what about shared take? Yeah, like a joint take. Joint take. I'm the joint chief of staff of joint takes. Well, I'm oh, yeah. a pioneer in joint takes. Like it's not plagiarizing because you're crediting them. You're crediting them, right? But, you're, but it's your take. It's but you're claiming, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could just speak by quoting people. I could like the what what a less no, but this is different. This, you're, this is you're, different. You're, what a, is... what a coward would do is mm-hmm. say, well, I'm going to agree with Raul Grijalva who said, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Or I'm going to cite, but I, I don't do that. That's no, that's not boring. You. That's not me. Mm-hmm. I'm a trailblazer in the world of communication. So I'm we got to a... come up with a word for that. I, like, I mean, joint, joint take works. Joint taking. Joint take. Oh, joint. that sounds like. Like an old person, an out of touch person talking about smoking marijuana or something. That's right. Yeah. It hasn't been a joint forever, has it? No, I don't think so. Just Although, smoke, smoke no, it's probably still a joint. It is. Yeah. But jo- I'm saying joint taking is like, yeah. it sounds like a person describing, are you joint taking? I still call so, it a joint. You still call it a joint? Yeah. That's good to know. Now, we're, yeah, we're not talking <laughs> about Are you about admitting the something? Yeah. Nope. Just, just when I, if, if I were to ever refer to it. If I ever had to. Nice conditional tense there. I like that. Oh my God. Are we employing a pothead? Black male footage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can I tell you a funny story that, that that ties into 
Yes, you can. This Gulf of Mexico leasing thing. Uh, you know how I spent like 10 years of my life covering Wall Street? Yes. So <laughs> the, re the reason for that goes back to an episode that I had involving leases in the Gulf of Mexico. I was covering the campaign in 2008 um, for Rolling Stone, and they had me following McCain. I was with him in Kenner, Louisiana, which is outside of New Orleans. And if you remember 2008, there was a big gas spike, and it was like suddenly really expensive to, to buy gas. Mm -hmm. So uh, McCain was he was taking this position that, oh, well, these high gas prices uh, mean that we need to approve new leases for drilling in the Gulf of Mexico immediately. Like we have to we have to speed through drill baby drill, right? Drill baby drill. Remember that whole thing? Mm -hmm. Drill baby drill. Yeah. And that a lot. Yep. And, and Sarah um, Palin. And Sarah Palin, too. So he he gives the whole drill baby drill speech in Kenner, Louisiana. On the way back to the plane, all the reporters are sort of joking around. They're basically making fun of McCain. They're like, this is like one of the things that campaign reporters always do. They always bust on the candidate behind his back or his or her back, but to their faces, obviously it's, you know, teacher's pet, right? So they're all laughing at McCain saying, oh my God, like what, what is, what is drilling in the Gulf of Mexico have to do with the recent rise in oil prices or gas prices? You know, like, how, how can you make that connection? And I kind of raised my hand and I and I said, does anybody actually know why gas prices are going up? Can anyone explain that to me? And it was like crickets in the plane and nobody could. And the reason was, is that it's like incredibly complicated. It turns out it has had to do with, you know, essentially a speculative bubble in oil futures. It had nothing to do with supply and demand or anything like that. It was it was a. A commodities bubble that was not easy to explain. Nobody, nobody understood it. And this was sort of my first hint that none of us knew anything about economics. And it was like a, a week later that the, or actually it wasn't a week later. It was, it was sometime after that that this same group of reporters was was at the Republican convention, and the economic crash was happening, and Lehman Brothers was collapsing, and. Um, everybody was sticking all this stuff about the crash and the lead and nobody, nobody understood why the crash had happened. Like, you know, what had caused it. So I mentioned that to one of my editors at Rolling Stone. They're like, well, why don't you do a story on what actually the reasons are? That's my story. It all started, it all started with like not knowing why gas prices go up. And you're saying that's what was behind your deep dive into wall street. Yeah. Because, because ah. I was, I was, irritated that everybody everybody was like chuckling about the the drill baby drill thing and right. as if they knew better but none of us right. knew better you know they were uh, mocking yeah and when you mock mccain right and obviously mccain was doing it because he was you know gunning for oil and gas money and wa right. wanted wanted to be a friend to every industry person but it had nothing to do with like prices and even if it did, it wouldn't have affected prices for a while anyway, right? Mm. Like that, I mean, that was another thing that was evident about that whole business. But anyway, yeah, so this is like a, an evergreen wet dream of industry is to is to approve those those leases. A not uh, so green. Yeah. Evergreen. And, and then the yeah. ANWR, the Alaskan National Wildlife Refuge, right? Remember, 
Remember there was who who was the senator who wanted to rename it the Petroleum Refuge or something like that? Probably Steve, probably Ted. Ted Stevens, Stevens right? Him. Or Murkowski, maybe. I can't remember. That was amazing when he, you know, Ted Stevens, RIP, said that like when they banned a little man, little man, he would wear the an Incredible Hulk tie on the he days That's right. that he was going to like speak uh, in the Senate. And when they protected some part of the Arctic, he said it was like <laughs> the worst day of his entire life. And he fought in World War II, and his wife died separately. His wife died in a plane crash. But the worst day of his life was when was when they protected some, some polar wildlife. Bears. Yeah, yeah, some polar bears. <laughs> well, that makes that makes perfect sense. And he was this like, a- unfortunately, I'm I'm deeply de- I'm 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 like man. He said like I'm clinically depressed right now. It's like when Michelle Bachman said that woman said her. Her daughter was uh, thereafter, became retarded thereafter. Oh, yeah, retarded thereafter. Ted Stevens told reporters on Friday that he is, quote unquote, depressed over his failure to open the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to development and that he is seriously considering retirement if he doesn't succeed. Stevens said he was suffering from clinical depression, but later told Alaska reporters that he has not been diagnosed with anything nor taking medication he said his personal physician told him to take (laughs) more time off from work can you imagine going to your doctor and being like i'm so depressed that i failed to kill polar developers kill kill polar bears uh i was i was gonna tell another funny story though uh you know in the hill how how there are pages everywhere yeah Right, like really, like really young people in some cases, not fully grown people. Yes. And they're wearing usually blue blazers and yes. khakis. Yeah. So I saw Ted Stevens in the underground part of the of the hill <clears throat> once, where the subway is. I mistook him for a page. I thought he was not a fully grown person. You thought he had that disease where you're face ages a lot no no no. i saw him from like from a distance like he was just small and wearing a blue suit so that's so funny yeah you didn't say anything to him like I, no excuse I didn't me page yeah no <laughs> i didn't go up to him and say you know what's so funny i thought you were like right a little kid no i didn't do that we've strayed kind of far afield here well whatever this is about biden wanting to drill in the in the gulf of mexico right that was the original that's how we got there but i mean it's very hard to talk about that about without drilling, without talking feelings. about Ted Stevens. All right, Republicans All right, suck. Republicans suck. This story I, I I just laughed at because it's so classic. This, this is like classic old school stupid Republicans. Um, and there's an irony here because, well, you'll see in a second. The story is Wyoming GOP votes to no longer recognize Liz Cheney. Here's how it reads, the, the lead reads. The Wyoming Republican Party voted this weekend to no longer recognize Congresswoman Liz Cheney, who represents the state, as a member of their party. Cheney, one of 10 Republicans who voted to impeach former President Trump, is one of two Republicans on the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Jeremy Adler, spokesperson for Cheney, said in a statement that it is, quote, laughable to suggest Liz is anything but a committed conservative Republican. She is bound by her oath to the Constitution, Adler said. Sadly, a portion of the Wyoming GOP leadership 
has abandoned that fundamental principle and instead allowed themselves to be held hostage to the lies of a dangerous and irrational man. It goes on. I, I, I guess the idea is to try to ruin the optics, making the the uh, the committee to investigate January sixth bipartisan. In other words, okay. they, in other words, yes. this, this is so that they can't say that there are two Republicans on the committee. Ah, right. That's a good good idea. But first of all, I'm not sure that that actually works. In fact, I mean, I'm sure I'm pretty sure technically she would she'll still caucus with the Republicans. She's just a rhino. Yeah, the, the language of the resolution drafted by Link, the Lincoln County GOP calls on the U.S. House Republican leaders to strip Cheney of her committee assignments and the House GOP conference itself. So this is like a bunch of local GOP yahoos trying to basically get the attention of, you know, actually consequential Republicans in Washington with this dumbass symbolic move that does what exactly? Like, it, it just says, oh, my gosh, we're, we're so um, we're so behind Donald Trump that we're going to waste taxpayer time you know, with this meaningless resolution to, to strip her right. of her GOP hood, that that feels pretty Soviet to me. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're so devoted to our dear leader that uh, that we got to do this, this, uh, this stupid gesture. Uh, and look, I, I'm generally in favor of the really stupid gesture. What, what's the line from Animal House? This situation calls for a stupid, pointless gesture. Is that is that what it is, Wilson? You must know this stupid and futile gesture. A stupid and futile gesture. Normally, I'm in favor of that, but probably not in the congression, like the legislative context. Normally, you're in favor of, but not in legislative. Yeah, sure. I get, like, I get that distinction. Yeah, I like that's, I, a, that's a good line. Like if a, like a person who walks backwards across the earth, like there was a person who did that. Like, really? Yeah. Like I love, I love that. Like, we should have that person on. No, it's it was a long time ago. We should have their rel- their descendants on. Yeah. We could we could have their corpse on. That would be fun. Yeah. But uh, and everyone who's watching this is going to make a joke about my necrophilia defense. Right. Right. Well, hopefully it wouldn't come into play during the interview. No. Also, I doubt it because it's like it was a while ago, so there'd be only bones left anyway. Right. I think that person's name was Plenty Wingo. Plenty Wingo is an American man that walked backwards from Santa Monica, California to Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, what? From, from April 15th, 1931 to October 24th, 1932 at the age of 36. He remains the Guinness record holder for the great ex- uh, for, for greatest extent of reverse pedestrianism. Um, so wait, how many days did it take him? Uh, it took from April 1931 to October uh, 1932. He had reverse-looking mirrored glasses, and uh, it's a long story, but um, very long. So I admire that, like that, like that as a as a pointless gesture, right. stupid, futile gesture, or pointless, futile gesture. Like, um, there's there's some beauty in that, but not in not in stripping Liz Cheney of her Republican status no. meaninglessly. I don't know. No, I I agree. I mean, I would like her to be like stripped of her. What's the other side of it? Like what, uh, like resistance status? Although resi- the whole resistance thing is such a joke. Yeah, that whole thing where where she's being upheld as as the you know the the symbol of decency, uh, decency and and uh, civ- civility and rectitude right. uh, by the kind of Max Boot Bill Crystal 
Lincoln Republican or what are the, what's that called? The, the Lincoln Project? The Lincoln Project, yeah. Yeah, like all those types. Jennifer Rubens of the world. That's pretty oh my gross. Gosh, she's the worst. Yeah. I mean, who are they? they I mean, yeah, any any movement with them in it is like. What's another example of this? Though? They, 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 there was a resolution. You know what this reminds me of? What? U.S. Congress opts for freedom fries. Oh, yeah. French fries in the House of Representatives cafeterias will now be known as freedom fries as part of a Republican protest at France's opposition to a war in Iraq. Uh, Republican Con Representative Bob Ney, whose committee is in charge of the eateries, first of all, you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel if there's if there's actually a committee that's in charge of the congressional cafeterias and it and it spends any time on that um right. anyway uh he said the action was a small but symbolic effort to show the, str the strongest displeasure of many on capitol hill with the actions of our so-called ally ally france french toast from now on will be known as freedom toast like they actually spent time on that shit freedom fries it doesn't sound as appealing freedom fries but i guess that's see and that's what do they want that was that the goal to denigrate something linked with i know i feel like they wanted to take it away why not just call them fries that was their mistake and this is why american empire is not doing as well as it could and should because they didn't have good branding just call them fries. That is how you disempower the French, how you emasculate the French. Right. You're yeah. just, you become the idiot now. Now the French seem that much cooler. Yes. You know, and, and have you ever spent a lot of time hanging around Congress or a state legislature? Congress? You ever, no. Like if you sit in the gallery for a whole day of you at the US Congress, uh, which I've done like maybe five times in my life you learn that they actually spend a significant amount of their time doing shit like renaming post offices and mm. introducing resolutions to honor the uncle of the nephew of the stepbrother dentist. of the dentist of the the baseball coach uh, you know who once said something to Abraham Lincoln or something like right. that right like they'll, they'll they spend all their time and then somebody gives a speech they vote on it it's like non-binding and you're like, you know, what are they doing? And there's usually there's only like six people there because the mem the actual members are never actually there. And then every now and then they show up for a, an actual consequential vote on something. But most of the time, eh, right? I don't, I'm sorry. I'm I'm no. I'm bitching okay. about this GOP thing just because it just irritates me. It's like yeah. the, the Republicans seem to have a have an appetite for that stuff that. It goes beyond they're, they're more into it than the democrats are i think although yeah. i guess the the democrats did some pretty dumb resolutions during the trump years yeah but i feel like that was like not quite as they were pretty performative ground. yeah yeah but it's not quite as historically grounded right as it right. is with republicans like that's more of a typical republican thing right anyway that's why republicans right. suck moving on yeah what do we have? Oh, isn't that weird? Okay, so for isn't that weird? I think we can just play the videotape. Now, this is borderline terrible, but I think it counts as weird. Spiders, you may want to look away for this story. Someone donated a huge spider to researchers in Australia. That's nice of them. Uh, the body on the funnel web spider oh. is nearly two inches long and Ooh, has really. fangs capable of piercing human fingernails. Oh my gosh. The Australian reptile 
Park says it's the biggest one they've ever seen. Ew. Someone gave it to them in a Tupperware container. Oh, that's nice. Without any labels to signify where it came from. So they're going to milk this one for the venom, and then yeah. that can be turned into anti-venom and kind of figure out this, right. this little... So, you know, it's a little weird to just leave a spider in a Tupperware case without yeah. any warning. Like, you know, when you throw out glass, you wrap it up and you put glass on it. Right. Like, I think you should put spider. Oh, that's fangs. great. Like, so you don't, so somebody doesn't invert, inadvertently like yeah. open it up. Or just take the, if you put it in or like grab it. I mean, most sanitation workers wear gloves, so maybe it's a throwback, but, uh, or overkill. Maybe that was how they caught, they got rid of the spider. Like they, it was in the, like, right. You know, in the bedroom or something like that. Oh, I see. Yeah. So they trapped but, it in the thing and then. Also, threw it how away. do they know its fangs could bite through human nails? Because it's probably a, a species that they're familiar with that who's bite strength they can measure. Right. right. I guess it can't bite through Tupperware. Can't bite through Tupperware. But what if you opened it? You're like, what's this? Right. And then it bites you. What kind of spider is it? Well, they've dubbed it a mega spider. Actually, if you go to the, the article, Matt uh, Wilson, it gives you a side by side of them. So you could see how big it is compared to other spiders. It really is quite disgusting. Not to like spider shame. That's a normal spider on the left and a, and a mega spider on the right. Hmm. It is a lot bigger. I think if I found that thing on my neck, oh, I would, would run do? full speed somewhere, like in any direction. Well, to, here's my take, by which I mean the take of Michael Tate, Australian Reptile Park Education Officer. You did it again. You joint you're joint taking. In my 30 years, but I gave a heads up. In my 30 years at the pack, I have never seen a funnel web spider this big. We are really keen to find out where she came from in hopes to find more massive spiders like her. That's a good Aussie accent. That's not okay, bad. Yeah. She's unusually large. And if we can get the large. public to large, right? I'm trying you to remember. You notice that the Australian accent kind of like, it, it has a little bit of, it's a little bit Bostonian. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. And also I find myself making like a sideways, a sideways thing with my mouth when I do it. Hmm. Uh, she's unusually large. If we can get the public to hand in more spiders like her, it will only result in more lives being saved due to the huge amount of venom they can produce. So, guys, keep your eyes out. Yeah. Let us know. If you if you if you find a massive spider in your house, don't just like put it in a Tupperware box and just leave it somewhere for people to find it. Label it, yeah. Put it in a spider in a Tupperware for sure, but then label it. Label. Mega spider. And, and and whatever you do throughout the entire process, speak in an Australian accent. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't scare it. Right. No, that was British. So you don't scare it. I got to I gotta watch more rake. Right. That, that was, was weird. Isn't that weird? Terrible is actually a similar story, but I'm going to do it in reverse because I, th I think the effect is better if, you, if we read the actual news story first. So, um, Wilson, can we see the New York Times story? And shout out to uh, to Da Kosen, Kosen name. He gave he shared this with me. Uh, he's on Twitter, D-A-K-O-S-E-N-A-M-E. -E. Isn't that terrible? Here we go. Plague strike Egypt, sudden floods, then four-inch scorpions called death stalkers. Swept from desert burrows, hundreds, if not thousands, of scorpions skittered into villages, 
stinging at least 503 people. Ugh. Dateline, Cairo, November 15th, 2021. First came the lightning that strobe lit the Nile skies, a pale purpley gray. What happened next? I like that. This is the upworthy style uh, sense. What happened next will amaze you. What happened oh, yeah, next yeah. checked all the boxes for a fierce storm. Uh, heavy rain, thunder, and flash flooding that sent people scurrying for dry land and crumbled mud brick houses around Aswan, the largest city in southern Egypt. Then came the scorpions. There were hundreds, if not thousands, yellowish four inches with as many as six pairs of eyes and a tail full of venom so toxic, so toxic. I'm sorry, and a tail full of venom so toxic that the species is known unscientifically as the death stalker. Uh, swept from their desert burrows by the rains, they came skittering into the mountainside, into mountainside villages and burst into homes through cracks in the walls, stinging at least 503 people on Friday night alone, according to the local officials. Uh, so this is like biblical, right? This is like the yeah. angels who came down with the, you know, seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives yeah. forever and ever and the six pairs of eyes, whatever, right? Uh, and this really happened in Egypt. Egypt has Egypt is fucked up a lot. Yeah, that's where the fair. I mean, that's where all those other plagues were. The, Egypt has a lot, to, a lot of questions that's got to answer. Um, <laughs> so there's video on this and uh, there was a tweet. And See, this is why mine is only isn't that weird, because this is the real terrible death stalkers are worse than nail biters. So let's let's look at, let's go to the videotape. Now we see some like flooding. A guy, what was he driving? It looks like a motor like a ski jet. Yeah, that's like a moped. That's not really moped water uh, uh, moped. Right, you don't want to be friendly. That? What's that? What's that guy? Oh, he's in like a literal boat. He's like in a canoe. That, that's like a surfboard. Like a surfboard canoe. A surf new. Somewhere in this, there's an actual close up of the scorpions. Did they see it at the beginning? I think in the very big. Well, let's keep there. there it is. is. That's them? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, them. Yeah. Is that the beginning? Okay. Look at that. That's disgusting. It looks like a chocolate croissant, kind of. Not chocolate croissant as we know them, but Those as things if are the big. Whole chocolate as if the whole croissant were dunked in chocolate on the outside yeah they I, also I, kind of look like dog droppings but very symmetrical right but you could you could eat very easily like step on that by mistake yeah i hope um, you're wearing shoes this falls into a pretty by the way pretty classic genre of isn't that weird news story which is the, isn't that weird or terrible isn't or isn't that terrible i guess yeah that's true. it is a fine line let's it's a fine line we grapple with that often. There, there's there's a lot of weird shit that falls from the sky stories yeah. they've always they're like once a year you'll get something uh that that is really unusual sometimes it's literal shit not weird shit but literal shit well that because we've done that from like a plane yeah. Yeah. right uh but like for, for instance wilson uh, uh fox compiled a list of things that fell from the sky uh, unidentified blood, uh, citizens of uh, Choco, Colombia, reported red rain, and, and the scientists confirmed that the mysterious liquid was blood. Uh. Uh, local uh, priests held that the phenomenon might be a warning from God. A uh, huge ball of ice, Brazil. This is a good one. Looks like a uh, whale tail. Yeah. Uh, yep. Um, spiders, Argentina, 2007. Each one about four inches. 
That's Looks a pretty big tropical, one. like a tropical. This, this is great. Frozen squid. A Korean Ooh. fisherman in the water off the Falklands spent two days in a coma after a single frozen squid dropped out of the sky. Imagine what a pear would have done. Probably right. killed them. Uh, periwinkles and hermit crabs. Toads. What is that? That toad is cute. Did it hurt anyone, the toad? Uh, Was it a dead so. toad? I found a toad in my house the other day. But do you do, do you show your kids? Yeah, yeah, they were really excited. Blood is it, probably the worst one so far. Cows. Claims a, cow that a Japanese fell? fishing boat fishing boat was destroyed by falling cows prompted fraud accusations. Uh, some proposed that the cows have been dropped from a cargo plane. All right, that was uh, that was isn't that that was terrible. the four basic food groups. Yeah, four basic food groups. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. So one more thing we should talk, maybe Katie, you and I should talk about just really quickly. I did, I did a little piece about this uh, and it's relevant because, you know, useful idiots is a Substack. Subscribe. Uh, subscribe to, to, to uh, useful idiots on Substack. We are a Substack product. It, it's been kind of a running joke in the last year that uh, seemingly like once every couple of weeks, somebody does a over the horror story about Substack. Like it's this contagion uh that's ready to take over the universe this week we had well we had two two stories in, in quick succession this week that were were kind of funny uh the first one was a vanity fair piece called the good newsletter exit strategy is hard to find and the way a lot of these stories go is they like they're, they're almost like anthropological surveys where they interview people who've returned from the wilds of Substack with like survival tales right and they like scientology or something yeah, exactly. Like, oh my God, I made it back, you know. And there's, in this case, it, it, it profiles someone who like couldn't figure out how to quit in an elegant way. Then there's another person who's talking about how difficult it is to market. Um, like, oh my God, we have to do our own marketing. Uh, and if you go down, you can see it on screen. Uh, where he refers to it. in in the wake of the summer of Substack, they like they refer to it as this like horror phenomenon yeah and, like and, summer of sam i don't know about you I, I hear this every now and then like i heard from somebody in the new york times not long ago like the editorial page is terrified of substack like first of all why would they be terrified of substack it's a tiny slice of market share compared to anything that would affect them so there's this weird panic about it and there have been all these stories they've, they've tried to come up with like different angles on why it's bad ranging from it's home to people like uh jesse single right remember that whole thing we yeah. interviewed them about that it's racist to it's it's um trump supporting to i don't know what, what else what else have they called it it's weird because like the, the top the top person on the political list is heather cox richardson who's like the most hashtag resistance liberal Hmm. in the world so i don't know we should start saying that attacks on Substack are an attack on her and right. on the resistance right and women and women exactly uh so 
there've been all these scare stories for like a year. And then finally Vanity Fair did this thing that was kind of cheeky about how, you know, some people aren't all that thrilled with it are going back to traditional jobs. So Axios followed up a few days later with this piece, which I, I mean, it's just really funny. They, first of all, they did a, a tweet that, that's entitled the Substack Scaries are over. Uh, and then if you look at the headline, it says big media strikes back at Substack. It's like, let's just, let's just read through it. It's just funny. Pressure from new publishing platforms has finally pushed newsrooms to create programs that give writers more pay, autonomy, and flexibility. These, uh, those changes are attracting some independent writers back to traditional news companies. Why it matters. The Substack threat to newsrooms was overblown. Newsrooms have been quick to react to the idea of the independent operator model, while journalists have been sharing its challenges or detailing why they decided to return to newsrooms. Driving the news, the information is in early stages of launching the information that our news, uh, newsletter network, a platform to power independent newsletter writers on the information's tech stack. Then they go through all these other companies that are starting their own independent newsletter programs. And we can talk about how funny that is, like the Atlantic and the New York Times are putting out independent newsletter services. Right. So this is the bottom line. Journalists that crave the infrastructure and editorial support offered by newsrooms are finding more happy mediums as the newsletter industry grows. And essentially they're saying, you know, finally the 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 the, the summer of Substack is over. We can go back to not worrying about that. Meanwhile, they, the, the story buries the lead. If you look in the middle of it, it says uh, between the lines, Substack on Monday said there were about there are more than 1 million paid subscriptions to publications on its platform, up from about 250,000 in December 2020. So that's a 400% growth rate in about a year, which if that happened anywhere in traditional media, you'd hear nothing but news about that. But they just say it's a, it's a little aside in a larger story about how the, the threat was overblown and the substack scaries are over and, and people are going back to the happy medium of uh, of having a corporate editor and all that other stuff. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what you think. I, I just found this really, really funny because just how can you not see the humor in the Atlantic and, and the New York Times starting independent newsletters? They're not independent newsletters, right? These are gigantic media companies. Yeah. Right. They're are gigantic media company newsletters. Right. But the, They're like indie chic, I guess, maybe. What, yeah. What do but we just definitionally you can't have an you can't have an anti-establishment product that's put up by the by an establishment organ. It just it doesn't work. They, they genuinely think that if they put out something that looks like right. Substack, it's the same thing and people will come to it. And it, it just always makes me laugh their thought process about the stuff. We, I, you and I talked about this, and maybe maybe Glenn did too about their you know their decision, MSNBC's decision that they were going to go after the youth market by by starting a new streaming show with Nicole Wallace. Right. Yeah. Like how'd that work it, out? Yeah. Like so, somebody actually sits down and has a meeting about this stuff and comes out of it saying, "Yeah, we we really got it. We you know." This is how this is how we're going to get that audience back. To me, it's just funny because Substack is, is a, still a relatively small phenomenon, I think. And even something like the Joe Rogan show, it, you know, it's got 
he's one podcaster. He's got a huge audience that far outstrips any any major cable show. Yeah. But they these companies constantly make a cause and effect uh, error. Like they think that their loss in audience is the fault of these little independent independent out, outfits when it's like two separate things that happen like they they lost the trust of audiences a long time ago which drives people to yeah it drives people away first and then they end they end up somewhere else but right. it's not the somewhere else that caused that you know what i'm saying i don't know i i just find this funny i mean we, you and i have both worked in both sides of the media and like you know in in the kind of structured corporate version and in the independent version and the mentality on the business side of corporate media it just never fails to make me wonder about those folks some denial some delusion yeah here's an idea don't do an independent newsletter just do a, a better new york times and crush yeah. us like bugs you know what i'm saying like scorpions like scorpions right like exactly large spiders like mega spiders that's right or or put us in tupperware cases oh yeah put us yeah top 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 us top us yeah so why do we have ads you may have heard that we have ads now if you're if you're paying substack members you get to skip those you don't have them you listen to ad free shows but why do we have ads matt tell them one of the things that we're doing with the show is that we're donating a substantial amount of uh, the proceeds of Useful Idiots to the Reporters Committee for the Freedom of the Press. Been in negotiations with them for a little bit, and we gave our first donation of $10,000 a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to do this probably every month. There's going to be, depending on how much uh, revenue we make. Right. And the idea behind, behind this is to um, help support particularly their programs for legal support for independent journalists. So these are people who do stories. They might be local journalists. They might be uh, independents and podcasters. If they get into legal trouble, you can call uh, the Reporters Committee for the Freedom of the Press. And they have uh, an, sort of an amazing array of, of really useful tools. They can give you legal advice like right away. Um, they will put you in touch with a lawyer if you're in trouble. Uh, they may even you know, be able to fund the entire uh, effort to represent you. And, um, you know, this is in, in this age when there's so much, there's so much pressure on independent media and local media coming from uh, big corporate outlets. Uh, it's very hard for people to do good reporting and survive because they, they're not able to defend themselves when they get, get into a scrape or get accused of something. We're donating money every month to that outfit. That's that's sort of part of the rationale for why we decided to do ads again. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll keep you updated on the progress of how, of you know sort of how much we're donating over time. Thanks to your continued support on Useful Idiots and the kind of steady growth of subscribers, we're we're in a position where we're able to start donating real money to this organization. So, thank you, and we'll see you again soon. Bye, everyone. Hello, thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash usefulidiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at usefulidiotpod and use the hashtag usefulidiotspod. 
Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday Morning Show, where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.